Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you that you have fed us in this sacrament, united us with Christ, and given us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet in your eternal realm. Well, send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, Father, I pray in your word. You've said a lot about unity. A lot to say about the way we as your people relate to one another. Lord, your word says how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Lord, you tell us above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Your word tells us, Lord, to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Well, these and many more scriptures point to the unity that we are to have as believers. Well, we acknowledge that unity is very important to you, but it can be very difficult for us as believers. Well, what you value so highly, we tend to forsake or destroy. Lord, we acknowledge that in the deepest and most significant sense, we are united. As your people, we've all been adopted together into your family. So we are brothers and sisters, regardless of the church. We are 10 or the melanin count in our skin. As believers, we have been indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. So we are one body. As Christians, we profess a common creed, so we are one church. As members of this local church, the Living Church, we sit around a common table and celebrate communion together, just as we did, so we are one congregation. As redeemed people, we worship a common Savior. As we all come from the same parents, we are of one blood, so we share in a common humanity. They're all signs and reminders of our unity that you have so graciously given us. But Lord, we also know that too often we ourselves interrupt this unity. We can't help to admit that it is our natural tendency to divide. Our world is filled with division, especially here in our nation. The secular world seeks to divide us by the melanin count in our skin, by our political affiliation, by the false ideology of sexual identity and transgenderism, and even whether someone is vaccinated or unvaccinated, whether you support Trump or Biden. Lord, because of these walls of division the world has put up, we are self-righteous people who are quick to think ill or even speak ill of others. We have capitulated to those secular ideals and let them filter into the houses of worship. Lord, we have a terrible habit of taking lesser matters, matters of conscience and preference, and making them into great matters that divide us from one another. Lord, we elevate small things into big things and reduce big things into small things. We confess, Lord, that too often we fail to act in ways that bring greater unity and instead act in ways that deepen division. And so, Father, we ask that you would forgive us for this. Forgive us for our willingness to divide. Forgive us for allowing secularism to dictate how the church should look. Let us receive that forgiveness and show true repentance. Father, I pray that we stay strong together as churches, that you would strengthen us by means of your spirit, Strengthen our pastors and our elders. Strengthen our deacons and the laity, the lay members. Strengthen our children and their parents. Strengthen our marriages. Strengthen the fellowship between our churches. Strengthen us, Lord, as we war against and resist the encroachment of worldliness into the household of faith. Lord, we ask that each of us would be eager to believe the best about others. We ask that each of us would be eager to serve one another. We ask, Lord, that each of us would be quick to listen and slow to speak 
We ask, Lord, that each of us will have a deep awareness of the objectively true unity that already binds us together. And let us be so careful not to let any subjective disunity, which is found in the secular world, drive us apart. We ask, Lord, that you would extend this special mercy, this special grace to us at this special time. Let us believe and live out what we know to be true, that we are one. Father, I want to pray this morning for other sound churches in Calhoun County, including the ones that I know personally, uh, Brother Steve Mays and Hope Presbyterian, Brother Anthony Cook and Christian Fellowship, Anderson Bible Church and Bob St. John, Carlton Weathers and Grace Fellowship, Cody Hale and Iron City Baptist, Josh Henderson and Southside Baptist in, in Talladega, Phil Moser and Redeemer Church, Justin Holland at Mountain View. Lord, I pray for these men and here at the Living Church with myself that we may continue to preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that your hand of blessing will continue to be upon us as we proclaim the gospel truth in our area. We pray, Lord, that we will continue to hear good reports about what you are accomplishing among our brothers and sisters in these churches. We pray, Lord, for the gospel fruit. We pray that you will bring more people into your kingdom as our faithful brethren proclaim salvation in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would remain united in the calling to which we were called to be an outpost of your kingdom in whatever part of the city our church is in. Now, Father, we pray for the illumination as we open your word. Father, we know that in ourselves we are dull. We know also that our enemy, the devil, seeks to steal your word from us. We know, Lord, that unless your spirit gives us soft hearts, that we will resist and refuse your word. Lord, remove from us all resistance to Christ and his gospel. Remove from us all obstacles to our spiritual growth and fruitfulness in your kingdom. I pray, Father, for your help that I might preach and teach your word with clarity and with wisdom in keeping with the meaning of scripture in its context. I pray, Father, for your wisdom as I preach. I pray also, Lord, that all of us, as your people, that we may receive your word with humility and submission, that we stand under your word and not over it. And so, Lord, instruct us so that your people may give you glory. Lord, cause us to respond to your word by understanding what you say and obeying what you command. Lord, may your word bear fruit in our lives and produce Psalm 100-fold, Psalm 60-fold, and Psalm 30-fold. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, pray, I prayed that pastoral prayers back in 2017 at one of our joint church meetings that we had at Grace uh, Fellowship, and I, I was digging through the archives and found it, and I said, man, I need to pray this prayer again. Uh, thank the Lord for his word amen let us go to the book that we've been in for the last month the book of Colossians we are in the first chapter this is the last sermon in the first chapter I think this is our fourth sermon in this chapter as we conclude it and our subject this morning is Paul's ministry to the church as a grounds for faithfulness. As a grounds for faithfulness. I say it here and there periodically. But I pray that you all appreciate the preaching ministry here at our church. And, uh, you know, my wife and I, we, we pray for people to find our church and come to our church. Uh, we know some false churches out there and false preachers that are deceiving people left and right with different things, self-worship and self-glory. And uh, 
you know, we want to remain committed to the gospel and be a good gospel church as much as we can with God's help. And I pray that we all see the blessing in it. Amen. We're in verses 25 through 24, rather, through 29 as we finish out this first chapter, this fourth sermon in our series in Colossians. And we're going to see mainly Paul's sacrificial service. And remember, just keep this context in mind that Paul is writing this letter from prison. And Paul never saw the Colossian church. He never visited this church. I talked about that, I think, back in the first, excuse me, first sermon where he called them faithful brethren. He called them brothers, although he had never met them face to face. And we talked about the unity, as I was praying about, that we are united with other believers in Christ, whether we see them or not. They're still our brothers and sisters in Christ. So just keep that in your in your mind, in the background, as we look at this sermon, that, that Paul never saw the uh, Colossians when he wrote this letter to uh, them. He was in, in prison for preaching the gospel. So verses 24 through 29, let us read the word of the Lord. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to you or given to me rather for you to fulfill the word of God the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his servants to them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you the hope of glory him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. I mean, just as an introduction and observations about this text, there's a force in the world today that is more powerful and more significant than any other in the history of the world. It's not the spread of democracy. It's not any anti-democratic movements that are currently active and threatening in our world. It's not the force of evil that are taking place in the wars between Russia and Ukraine and Israel and Hamas is not capitalism, is not socialism, is not the invasion of our southern borders, not civil rights, is not homosexual rights, is not transgenderism or feminism, is not secularism. The force that is more powerful and more significant than any other force in the history of the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ the gospel that you who have come to faith in Christ have heard have understood and have believed and we've been learning this from the apostle Paul that is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world the greatest force in this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ other things may be threatening. Other things may scare you, which they should not. Other things may get you in outrage, as they should. But we must understand as Christians that there is a force that is greater. There's a force that is much mightier than any evil that we see 
in this world. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ has changed and transformed more lives than any other force in this world. All other forces bring despair and misery and disappointment, but not the gospel of Jesus Christ. After all, the gospel, as Paul said in Romans 1 and 16, it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation unto those who believe. It is the gospel that is the power of God. Not anything else. So again, keep in mind the context of this passage, as I said before I started. That this is a prison letter. It shows Paul's passion to see the saints of God grow in grace, even as he suffers for being a herald of the gospel. Think about that. Paul desired to see these Colossians grow in grace while he's in prison. He didn't put all the attention and gaze on himself. He was concerned about the saints, although he was in prison for preaching to the saints. His chains do not stop him from suffering for the sake of spreading the gospel message to the Colossian Christians. What excuse have we who are free? We're not in prison for proclaiming the gospel. We're not free from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was bound in prison and those Roman prisons were dungeons. They were not nice places to be. They were cold and wet and damp and inhospitable. They didn't have a cot with a nice mattress and a nice little uh, stainless steel um, stool to do your business. They didn't even have indoor plumbing back then. They didn't have those creature comforts, but yet Paul in, in that prison still proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ even as he was suffering. So what is the big idea here that we're going to look at about Paul's ministry to the church as a grounds for faithfulness? That the serving of the gospel, which is all of us, doing sacrificial service for Christ, we suffer for the sake of the gospel, we make known the mystery of the gospel, and we proclaim the Christ of the gospel. So let's look at these three principles. Number one, Paul's grounds for ministry, his ministry to the church as a grounds for faithfulness, means that one, he will suffer for the gospel. Now, part of this suffering, part of suffering as a Christian comes from gospel rejection. It reminds me of John, the 12th chapter. I remember I, I preached through John's gospel probably back in 2010, 2011, 2012, I think 2012 to 2014. I spent two and a half years in John's gospel. And I remember getting to the 12th chapter. The 12th chapter is where Jesus, in essence, turned himself away from Jerusalem and focused on the disciples in the upper room discourse, which began in John 13 when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. But somewhere in there in chapter 12, this is what the apostle John wrote to Jesus as Jesus had turned away from um, uh, Jerusalem, from Israel, because they had rejected the gospel. This is what John said. This is John 12, chapter 37. And we're talking about suffering from the rejection, gospel rejection. John said, this is John 12 and 37. Well, let me go back to verse 35. So what happens is someone asks him a question in verse 34. It says, the people answer him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Because what Jesus had said is that he is the son of man that scripture had talked about and had pointed to. And so they were asking him questions. So Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. And the light, he was speaking of himself. 
Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. And then this is what John said in verse 37 of chapter 12. But although he had done many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Jesus himself, the God man, experienced gospel rejection. While he was literally on the earth, while people saw the miracles, they saw the signs, they, they saw the feeding of the 5,000 uh, 5, and then the, the 4,000. They saw the lame being healed and the sick being healed. They saw the woman with the issue of blood being dried up just by touching the hem of his garment. They saw all of these miracles. They saw all these signs. And yet, they still didn't believe. This is how the gospel is. We are going to experience gospel rejection. But we should never be afraid to share it. People are going to look at us like we're fools. That's okay. We're sharing the gospel. We're telling people you need to be saved. You can post it on Facebook. It don't matter whether you get likes or comments. I shared something just this morning on Facebook. I said, I'm going to start doing this a little bit more. I do it in the workplace and every place else. I said, I'm going to start sharing it. I, I, you know, like I share our uh, church service and everything, whether people watch or not, I, don't, I want people to hear the gospel. If they don't, then that's fine. But we should not be ashamed that we're going to suffer for the sake of the gospel. As a Christian believer, it is more than likely that we will face many discouragements because of this. It's not easy to see that the gospel you believe is so powerful when you find few people persuaded by it. It's like, well, why can't they get this? It may seem like the gospel is not powerful when we're praying for our children who are unsaved, when, when parents are praying for their prodigal children to be saved. We may, you know, we may say, Lord, the, the, the gospel is not powerful because my my child or my son or my daughter or my grandchildren or my, my brother or my sister or my parents are not saved. They don't seem interested in it. And the society around us is moving us farther, further and further away from any positive recognition of the truth of this gospel. The world seeks to destroy the gospel. People never forget that. The world is trying to topple the last institution that is standing and that is the church. All the other institutions in our society have been captured by uh, leftists and secularists. All of them, the colleges, <coughs> uh, the medical profession. You got doctors mutilating children. Prescribing them hormones that are going to destroy their bodies. Doctors so-called experts you tell me a doctor believes that a man can become a woman and a woman can become a man and you pay two three hundred thousand dollars to go to medical school and do four years of residency and four years of undergrad the secularists have captured every institution the college they they go to college to be indoctrinated I know that from looking at my boy's schoolwork. It's indoctrination. They've captured education. They've captured medicine. They've ca captured uh, the prescription industry. They've captured psychology and counseling. They've captured government. Secularists have captured every major institution in our society except for the church they've captured the apostate churches those who have departed from the faith 
Now they're trying to come after the true church. You have you have Christians getting squeaky and weak need on abortion and on transgenderism, which is an ideology because there's no such thing as a transgender person. They're getting weak on these things. They're getting weak on marriage. Why? Because they are getting captured. But we as Christians must be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Christian, Christianity is becoming more and more disdainful in our nation. But we as Christians must not, must not become more disdainful of the gospel. We must still not be ashamed to proclaim that Jesus saves, that Jesus alone saves. We cannot be ashamed to say that. We cannot be ashamed to tell people that Jesus is the only hope for you. So Paul in his apostolic ministry, he suffered for the gospel's sake. Paul had rejection. He had hardship. He was misrepresented. He suffered slander. He encountered loss. And he experienced conflict. When you look at Paul's letters, when you look at the book of Acts, Paul experienced opposition. But he did it for what? The gospel's sake. When Paul was defending his apostolic ministry in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23-33, listen, listen to what Paul said about his ministry. He says, are they ministers of Christ? Because what was happening, people were questioning his apostolic bona fides. Saying that he wasn't a true apostle. This is what he said. Verse 22, 2 Corinthians, verse 11. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. So five different times he, he received 39 stripes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches." Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Paul experienced suffering. His ministry was one of suffering. But he did it for the glory of Christ. And so he is telling the Colossians here in this passage. I now what? Rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in affliction. So Paul is saying that he rejoices. In the fact that he is suffering for the sake of other believers. Lord forgive us because we. Are so used to comfort. And we are. And we might as well admit it. We don't want to be made uncomfortable. It doesn't mean we have to lose anything. But we don't like the uncomfortableness of someone not agreeing with us. <laughs> or someone thinking that we're being mean. Or we're being intolerant. Or we sound like a bigot. When we don't. We're just proclaiming the truth. But we're even afraid of those insults. They're just words. We have been shipwrecked. We have been beaten 39 times, uh, five different uh, uh, occasions. We haven't experienced shipwreck. We were listening to Acts 20, 27 chapter when Paul uh, experienced a shipwreck and they had to get rid of some of the cargo so that the ship wouldn't drown when he was on his way to Malta to minister. 
Paul went before Felix. He went before the emperor. Read that in Acts 28. Because he wanted to get to the heart of the Roman Empire with the gospel. That he was willing to go before Caesar, which you did not do. But he did that because he wanted Caesar, who was God in the Roman Empire. You know, they practiced emperor worship. Caesar was Lord, not Jesus. But Paul wanted to appeal to Caesar and have a chance, the opportunity to spread the gospel with him, to him, to the heart of the Roman Empire. So Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. The afflictions. And I want to explain this verse 24 where he says, what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body. So what Paul meant here. This is an explanation from Ian McNaughton, a theologian uh, that did a commentary on this. Paul was not saying that Christ's afflictions were somehow inadequate. He says he could not be saying that it was now up to him to complete what Christ had only partly done. He said the work of Christ on the cross, which are his afflictions, is now having its effects on the whole world. Indeed, on all creation under heaven. Through the service of the gospel. So the servants suffer because of Christ's work on the cross. So as the Lord Jesus suffered to reconcile all things, so there is suffering for those who serve the gospel by which the suffering worn reconciliation reaches into the whole world. So because Christ suffered to reconcile all things, guess what? There's going to be suffering among us as believers. As we share the gospel, there's going to be suffering. That suffering may be the rejection of family members. That suffering may be isolation by your co-workers. Nobody wanting to talk with you or sit down and have lunch with you or go out to eat with you because you're not part of the cool kids club who believes all this secular nonsense in this world. But you know what you do have? You have a family of God that we suffer together. We don't, we don't isolate each other. We do what we encourage. We round up each other. That's why that, that unity prayer that I was praying, that's, that's what we do. We, we encourage one another. We love one another. We are going to be isolated by the world. We're going to be treated differently. People are not going to want to say certain things around us. But because Christ suffered to reconcile all things, there is suffering for those who serve the gospel. And so that's what Paul meant by that. So Paul's suffering was for the sake of others. He says, again, for your sake. It was for the sake of Christ's body, which is the church. The assembly. So in becoming a servant of the gospel, Paul became a servant of the church or the assembly of believers. There are discouragements that happen there are setbacks the gospel ministry can seem unimpressive the rejection by friends and family the unpopularity of being named among Christ it is important for us to see that such things are in the character of this gospel proclamation when you share the truth with people you're going to get a reaction always remember that when you share the gospel truth with people you are going to get a reaction and it's not going to always be favorable some people are going to be hard and they're going to say I don't want to hear that why you always got to talk about Jesus why you always got to tell me that uh, you know about your church why you always invite me to church why, why you always trying to Tell me that I need this and I need that because I care about you. And I want you to be saved like I am. I want you to experience the hope of Christ like I have. That's why we do it because we want souls to be 
saved. And Paul wanted to encourage the saints. So the next thing. Paul's ministry to the church. Excuse me. Did as a sign of faithfulness was to make known the mystery of the gospel. So the plan was to make the word of God fully known. That's what Paul wanted to do. So he said here. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. Which was given to me for you. To fulfill the word of God. The mystery. This is verse 26. Which has been hidden from ages and from generations. But now has been revealed to his saints. So. Paul was a steward of this plan. And his stewardship was to make the gospel. The word of God fully known. To fulfill the word of God. To bring the word of God to its fulfillment. The word of God is the promise of God. The word of God is the purpose. And the plan of God. Made known through the Old Testament prophets. Paul was a servant of the gospel. In accordance with God's plan. To fulfill all that he had promised and purposed. Remember the word of God. Is God's purpose. It is the promise of God. It is the purpose and the plan of God. You want to know what God's plans are? It's in the word of God. You want to know what God's purpose is? It is in the word of God. You, know, you want to know what God's promises are? They're in the word of God. Matthew Henry said this. On this verse. He said. We are Christ's ministers for the good of his people to fulfill the word of God that is to fully preach it of which you will have the greater advantage the more we fulfill our ministry or fill up all parts of it the greater will be the benefit of the people they will be the more filled with knowledge and furnished for service so in other words the more we as believers fulfill the word of God preach it read it study it Meditate on it. We will fill up with all the parts of it. And it will be a great benefit of all the people. We can't have that benefit without the word of God. So this mystery. That Paul. Is speaking of. This mystery is the content of Paul's preaching. He says in verse 26 again. It was hidden from the ages and generations but now has been revealed to his saints now there are two elements to this mystery that climax in Christ himself we're going to look at these two elements there in the verses I saw there in verse 27 this mystery has been revealed you know in a uh, cartoon Scooby Doo you know they have the mystery, mystery machine right <laughs> who used to watch Scooby Doo I did nice love Scooby Doo you didn't get to the mystery until when? Like the end when they pulled the mask off and it was always somebody that they saw before and they showed like a flashback or something like that. <laughs> and everything was the same thing every show, right? Every episode, exactly. But this mystery right here being revealed is greater than the mysteries that are revealed in Scooby-Doo. So what is this mystery? Look at verse 27. It has been revealed. To them, God will to make known what the riches of the glory of his mystery among who? The Gentiles. And what is this mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is my, this is a good landing place right here. So first thing, the first element of the mystery, first of all, is that the Gentiles are now included in God's plan. We read that when we were in the book of Ephesians. Also in the book of Galatians. This was new and it, it created a problem for the established church already. The established Jews of that time. That's why Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians about those Jewish people trying to make Gentiles that were converted obey 
the law by getting circumcised and all those things and and Paul's like no we don't do that they had the uh, Jerusalem council I think in Acts the 15th chapter where they met about the same thing that Gentiles did not have to be circumcised so this mystery Paul Paul was sent specifically to the Gentiles one of the first Gentile converts was Cornelius in Acts the 10th chapter and he uh, God has sent Peter to Cornelius's house Cornelius is one of the first Gentiles uh, Gentile converts so God had given this this ministry to the Gentiles this ministry is actually a person and that is Christ in you now the phrase Christ in you remember who are the you go back to the first chapter and first verse the saints and the faithful brethren in the Lord Jesus Christ so he's not a general you meaning everybody so the phrase Christ in you speaks to the indwelling presence of Jesus Christ in the believers heart in the third person of the Trinity who is the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit's abiding in every believer is the presence of Christ in us. Christ abides in us by means of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Let's just put it like that. We don't ever have to ask the Holy Spirit to come into us because guess what? He is already in us. We don't have to sing Holy Spirit come, Holy Spirit come. No, why? Because he already came. He is in us. That's why Paul says Christ in you. That is the mystery revealed. This leads to love, joy, and peace. We have love in our hearts knowing that Christ is in us. We have joy, joy in the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Ghost because we know that what Christ is in us. We have peace, that peace that passes all the uh, understanding, the, the peace that he is ours and we are his. Why? Because we have his presence within us. He abides in us. We don't have to be in, in turmoil and we don't have to be in agony. Why? Because Christ is in us. He dwells in us. His spirit resides, is at home in us. Thank the Lord for that. That Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Amen? He's in us. He's with us. He is in us. So Paul talks about the hope of glory. This refers to eternal life. Christ possessed within is eternal life. We have the already but not yet. We have eternal life when we believe. That's the already. And the not yet is that we have yet to inherit that eternal life. This hope is always looking forward to the future resurrection and the fulfillment of God's promises in scriptures. So what is the mystery of the gospel again? The Gentiles are now included in the plan of God. The mystery being revealed that Christ is in us. The hope of glory. Now I want to further explain Christ in you. Paul's focus is on how God's new covenant people are completely identified with their representative. Who is our representative? Christ. You know, it's something in this world people look for. You know, representation is a big thing in the secular world. Especially with the skin color issue. You know, they talk about we need more representation in, in, in movies and in television shows. We need more LGBTQ representation. We need more people of color uh, representation in, in Hollywood and in the White House and in the cabinet of the president and you know you know we, 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 oh, we, we need to see people that, that look like us 
That's what the world says that, that, that we need. Oh, I, I would feel so proud as someone who has a little melanin. If I see someone who, who looks like me, you know, in the, in the White House or, or part of the cabinet, somehow that's going to esteem me even more. That's, that's the fallacy and the foolishness of representation that you need someone to, to look like you to have some type of worth. That's what the world says. You probably hear the word representation being thrown around. That's what we need. We need representatives. Who represents the black community? Who represents the Hispanic community? Who, who represents the Asian community? We need, we need representatives. We need people to go before us. And, and what a representative does, they do what they, they speak on behalf of a group of, of, of people. They advocate for those people. But let me tell you something. I only have one representative. And that is Christ. He represents all of his redeemed before the Father. You don't need to feel some type of worth because you see somebody that has your melanin count in a so-called high position. And you notice it's always... They talk about representation in like all the big, so-called big stuff in the world. They don't talk about we need more women coal miners. We need more representation of women in the coal mines. We need more female linemen out there. You don't hear about that type of representation, do you? We need more male uh administrative assistance of male teachers in elementary schools. You don't, you don't hear about lack of representation there. But you hear about it in like big, so-called what the world esteems as big positions. You know, presidents of universities and CEOs of, 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 of companies and, 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 and all these different things. In the Supreme Court, you know, you got a black woman in there that can't even tell you what a woman is. Saying she's not a biologist, she doesn't know. But yet, because she's a black woman, she represents all black women. No, she doesn't represent my wife because she's dumb if she don't know what a woman is. I don't care what kind of Ivy League school she went to. She doesn't represent my wife. Exactly. That's where representation is foolish in this world. It's stupid. Oh, Kamala Harris, she represents all, and she's not even black. She's Jamaican and Indian. But yet she's supposed to represent black women in power because she is the vice president. And black women are supposed to look at her and be proud because it's one of us in the White House. And she don't care about you. That's not the representation that we look for as Christians. Our representation is otherworldly. He is Christ. Christ in you. We are the covenant people of God. Christ is our representative and we are identified with him. And this new identity that we have in Christ being in us gives us a hope for the future. Paul often speaks of Christians as those who are in Christ. But now he reverses the imagery and refers to Christ in us. Amen. Christ is in us. Paul says in Romans 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So Paul now talks about Christ in us. None of these representatives are in us and we're not even in them. We just share a melanin count and that's it. And that doesn't even matter because all of us come from two parents, Adam and Eve. We come from the same parents. We have the same blood. From one blood, God made all the nations of the world. Paul said this in Acts, the 17th chapter. Skin color doesn't matter, people. We don't need representatives in this flesh. We need the only representative, and that is Jesus Christ, who goes before us and knows us. Amen. And we are known of him. Thank you. We have an intimate relationship with Christ. 
Because Christ is in us, Paul stresses the intimate relationship between Christ and his people. And because of this relationship, Christ fully represents us. He represents us before God by pleading our righteousness. He represents us as our advocate. Paul says there's one advocate, there's one mediator rather between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. He's our advocate. He's our representative. He is our intercessor. Christ represents us everywhere. And it's because of this that we can have the hope of glory. The certainty that we will experience final glory. That's why he says Christ in you, the hope of glory. These earthly representatives can't give us any glory. They can't give us nothing. And I just use a double negative. Can't and nothing. And I'm an English teacher. They can't give us nothing. They can't give us anything. But guess what? Christ in us. The hope of glory. This is the gospel that we preach to people. This is what we let them know. We make known the mystery of the gospel. Hey, I know someone who represents. Who's a better representative than these sinners. And most of them are Christ deniers anyway. The world is all about representation. People of color. LGBTQ. We need to see more of these faces in all these spaces. Friends, they can't represent you. You can't look at them and be proud because they're sinners just like you. They're fallen just like you. We are like these people. They're like these people walk on water. Like they can do no wrong. That's what happens when you when, when you idolize someone. You think they can't do no wrong. And then when they do, you defend them and you, you, you jump on people who talk about them. Don't you speak on them like that. <laughs> oh, boy, you can't speak on Barack Obama. You can't speak on Steve Harvey or some of these other people. Can't speak on uh, Joe Biden uh, barely being able to walk. You can't speak on President Donald Trump, who's a buffoon. Or the MAGA people will come after you with pitchforks and torches, tiki torches. Why? Because you have people who worship them and say, oh, they represent me. They, they represent everything that I stand for. He's a sinner. They're all sinners. They're going to die one day just like we are. And they're not going to be raised from the dead three days later like our representative. They're not going to roam earth for 40 days and being seen by over 500 witnesses and then ascend to heaven and be seated at the right hand of the Father. None of these earthly so-called representatives will be able to do that. But guess what? Our Savior did. He represents us and we have the hope of glory because of him. Paul reminds us again that hope is tied to Christ and to Christ alone. Amen. Last principle. We proclaim the Christ of the gospel. Not just the gospel, but the Christ of the gospel. So one question remains. What, what does the servant of God do? How does the servant of God play his role in bringing God's plan to fulfillment? What is it about serving the gospel that brings about the sufferings? Paul says here, him we proclaim. Verse 28. They get into verse 27, which is the, uh, the, the, the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim. Him is the pronoun antecedent for Christ. Him we proclaim, warning every man and teaching 
every man in all wisdom. The time has come for God's king to be known in the whole world. Because it's a servant of the gospel proclaims Christ. It is what the servant does in public and private. He does it in formal and informal settings. Before a court in a synagogue as Paul did in the marketplace in private conversation in the writing of letters Paul says him we proclaim the Lord Jesus and we do it in those conversations when those gospel opportunities come guess what we need to take advantage of them to elevate Christ if you notice everyone is used three times in verse 28 we preach in warning every man and every man and every man three times in verse 28 why is that in the original these are echoes of the all things all people are now to hear Christ in whom all things have their origin now proclaiming Christ means two different things it means to teach and to what warn Paul says this warning them and doing what teaching them two things two sides of the gospel Proclaiming Christ means warning everyone, number one. People's lives cannot be the same once Christ is known. They must change. They must not drift back into old ways. The Greek word for warning is translated in chapter 3, verse 16 by admonishing. So warn means to admonish. After Christ saves us, though we are kept by his power, though we sing songs like we sung this morning that he will hold us fast, we are responsible to make our calling and election sure. And I think that's 2 Peter 1. You have God's sovereignty balanced with human responsibility. God does keep us. God will persevere us to the end, but we must make our calling and election. We can't just say, well, I'm going to just coast it on in. I'm going to just dial it on in until the Lord calls me home. No, because what's going to happen, you're going to apostatize. Proclaiming Christ also means teaching everyone. People's thinking and understanding of life and the world cannot remain the same once Christ is known. There's so much to learn about Christ. That's why Paul says in uh, Colossians 3 and 16. The servant of Christ lets the word of Christ dwell in you richly in our wisdom, teaching and admonishing, which means warning. One another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So this is what we must do. We must teach people and we must also do what? Warn people. And what is the purpose of this? The purpose is that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the end of verse 28. That is the, that is the purpose. What is the purpose of sharing Christ? That we may present everyone mature in him. What is the purpose of me preaching the gospel to you all and to myself? To make sure that we're all mature in Christ. That we grow in Christ that we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that's why we do it that's why we do it that's the purpose in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach and how does Paul do this with pain he says, to this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So Paul does this with pain. He wants his readers to understand that this proclaiming of Christ is hard and painful work. He says, for this I toil, that means he's struggling. It is work in which you, you do grow weary. It is work that leads to exhaustion. It can land you in the Roman prison cell as it did for Paul. For several years under house arrest, which is when he wrote this letter. I think he was under house arrest for two years. Acts 28.30. I think he was under house arrest for two years. So he did this with pain. 
He did it also with power. Finally, he says, striving according to his working. He did it with Christ's power. It was, it was painful work. It was, it was toiling work, but it was with power. God is at work with all his energy that he powerfully works within us. When we share the gospel, know that God is working in you. You may not feel like it. You may feel tiresome, like, man, God is powerfully at work in the exhausted serving of the gospel. The effectiveness of the service hard work does not depend on him, but it depends on God. What does the scripture say? Do not grow weary. That's, I think it's Galatians 6. Do not grow weary in doing well, for in due season you will reap if you do not faint. Hard work for the kingdom of God is always worth doing. Always. Because guess what? God is at work in us. We don't have to worry about failing. Just do the work. God will see to it that it bears fruit. Look, I've been a pastor at this church for 13 years. It gets very discouraging sometimes, but you know what? God propels me to keep doing what I'm doing. There have been times where I told, I'm, you know, I'm done. I'm through. There have been times like that in all honesty and transparency. But the Lord keeps giving me strength to continue to do it. You talk to any pastor, they'll tell you that. If they're not, they're lying to you. They'll tell you that. It's, it, it can get very hard sometimes, but guess what? We do it because I want to see you all grow. I want to see me grow. I want to see our church grow. I want to see y'all grow in your faith. I want to see myself grow in faith and learn how to deal with this world, how to live in this world, and how to be, not be ashamed to spread the gospel and live as gospel witnesses in this world. That's why we do this. That's why all these faithful men are doing this. We're not trying to get people rich or trying to get ourselves rich. Of course, we would like to be paid, but we're not trying to fleece the flock of God like a lot of these preachers are doing. We're not trying to get people a false hope. We're not trying to get people a false salvation leading them to a false savior who's not going to deliver them, who's not going to show them the hope that they really need. Paul was so concerned about these believers that he never saw, keep that in mind, that he toiled. He says it. To this end, I labor. What is that end? That he may present every man perfect in Christ. To that end, he labors, striving according to his working, which works in him mightily. It is God working in him. It is God who works in all of us. We must know, people, Christ in us. He never leaves us. We can't forget that. Christ is in you every single moment of your life. Every single molecule of your being is possessed by the spirit of God if you're in Christ it's not a molecule of your body that doesn't have the spirit of Christ dwelling in it even on those sluggish days when you don't feel like getting up when you don't feel like dealing with your children when you don't feel like dealing with your job when you don't feel like getting in your car we, we, we just don't feel it guess what Christ is still at work in you He's still at work. He's still working mightily in us and through us. Amen. So we cooperate with that. Applications. Number one, proclaim the gospel message despite the suffering it brings. Paul said in Romans 1 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us not be ashamed to proclaim the truth. People, Folks, now more than ever, we're all not more than ever. But people need to hear the truth of the gospel. The church is cowering. Let us not do that. Number two, proclaim the gospel message by warning and teaching everyone. Warn people that you know and love and have 
equity with that you can talk to that will listen to you. If you see that they're in sin, that they're not in Christ, lovingly warn them. Look, I love you. I want you to be saved. I want you to be in heaven with me. Every time I tell some of my loved ones that, they bristle. But I still tell them. I said, my dad that all the time he used to curse me out. He did. Until he didn't when Christ saved him. Yes, I did for many years. I mean, probably about 20 years or so. And I do it to my mom too. But we must not, you got children, grandchildren, siblings, parents. Look, you want them in heaven with you. Warn them and teach them. And lastly, proclaim the gospel message with pain and with power. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. But who is with you? Christ. He works in you, as Paul said, mightily. Let us pray as we receive the word of the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, give us gospel boldness. Lord, Christ dwells in us. He is the hope of glory. Help us to see, Father, our need to proclaim Christ, to, to endure the suffering that will come with it, to endure the rejection, the disappointments when people don't receive it. But, Lord, we still do it anyway. Lord, help us in ministry. All of us are ministers. All of us are servants of the gospel. Lord, encourage us by your word that we just heard. Help us to proclaim the gospel message despite the sufferings it brings. Help us to proclaim the gospel message by warning and teaching everyone. And Lord, help us by proclaiming the gospel message with pain and power. I pray, Father, that you will use this sermon to encourage the faithful and to bring sinners to repentance. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.